May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So I've been incredibly preoccupied this week with the devastating fires in Maui. Some of you know that my son and his girlfriend live in Hawaii. They, they live on the island of Kauai, so one island that has not so far seen any fires. But of course, as a mother, right, <laughs> one worries because how different can the weather be, right, in Kauai and on Maui. I also have a very dear friend and colleague who is the priest in charge at St. John's Church in Kula, which is in the upcountry of Maui, so up in the hills. And there were some fires around the Kula area, but nothing like the devastation that was down on the coast in Lahaina. But I've been talking with my friend every day this week just to try to support him and to see what, what it's like. What are they doing? And I did put a little piece in the window, <clears throat> and I hope that some of you will will help out in our efforts to just help from afar financially, because that's really all we can do is bless prayer. Um, but what I was struck by in talking to Father George is that his folks, his St. John's folks, have immediately stepped up to help in all sorts of ways. Um, most of them, kind of ironically, he said they're all really from Connecticut. There are a bunch of East Coast business people who wanted to retire to paradise, right? And so he went out there thinking he was going to be um, experiencing a little more diversity than, than he actually does in his congregation. But also, ironically, many of those folks probably experienced Hurricane Sandy when they were here on the East Coast, as did my friend who was serving at church in Ocean City, New Jersey, when, when uh, Sandy came through. So he's very familiar with unfortunately, devastating events in the community. And what he told me was people are opening their homes, inviting people in, collecting food, collecting clothing, handing things out, doing absolutely whatever they can as part of community. And it struck me that God calls the surprise. God calls the surprise and the unprepared. Because nobody saw this coming. God calls the surprise and the unprepared. The lesson from First Kings that Anne read is about one of my favorite characters in the Bible, the prophet Elijah. You may remember that he appeared last week in the story of the Transfiguration, right? When Jesus was up on the mountain, who appeared? Moses and Elijah. So Elijah is a pretty important prophet. But where we see him in today's story is really despairing. He's been... There was a whole long, complicated, Cecil B. DeMille-worthy scene earlier in First Kings where Elijah takes on all of the prophets of Baal. And through this incredible display of God's power, 
The prophets are all killed. And now, Queen Jezebel is seeking his life. So he's escaped from doing this amazing thing where God gave him this demonstration of God's power and many people were, many people believed that the God of Israel was all-powerful as a result of this. So he's a big player in this game. But when we see him today, he's hiding in a cave. And God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he said, oh my goodness, I've been so zealous for the Lord and now they're seeking my life. He's discouraged. He's disappointed. He feels like a failure. And when I went back and looked at the story this morning again, it isn't actually clear whether it's Queen Jezebel's soldiers who are seeking his life or a bunch of the Israelites, his people. It could be either or both. He's just throwing up his hands and saying, I don't know about this business. I've done my very best. I have given everything to this cause. And now they're trying to kill me. But God says, Okay, so this is what you're going to do. Get up and go back. And these things are going to happen. And you've got stuff with those, those names that are impossible to say. But the point about the section, right, is that God knows what's going to happen next. And God is equipping Elijah for what's going to happen next by giving him some other people and some promises about what's going to happen next. So what I realized is God, in fact, calls the disappointed. God calls the despairing. God calls the tired. Anybody ever been despairing, disappointed, or tired? Right? But God says, you know what? That's not a get-out-of-ministry card. Because God will create the path and go with you in those moments. And then in the gospel story, we have beloved Peter. You've got to love him, right? Peter is just the best. Peter is always the one to say the thing that sometimes we might say or sometimes we think, oh my goodness, I can't believe he said that. He sees Jesus coming across the water. Now, the important thing about today's story is that it comes right after the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which we didn't read last week because we did Transfiguration. So when it talks at the beginning about Jesus sent them ahead on the boat, and he stayed to disperse the crowd. It was those crowds. It was that crowd from the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus sort of hung around and <clears throat> hung around and helped people fold up their picnic blankets and sort of said, okay, time to go, enough already. And then he went up onto a mountain to try to have a little time to himself. That never goes well for Jesus, but he tried. Big storm on the lake. Disciples are out on the lake. They see Jesus walking across. And of course they're afraid because it's weird, right? Who's seen somebody walking across the water? Nobody. But Peter, instead of just waiting to see what happens, he goes, 
Okay, so if it's really you, let me come out there and walk on the water too. Okay. Sounds a little brash, a little bold, maybe a little foolish. I don't know. I don't even really know what he was thinking. So he, you know, can't you picture him though? You know, the boat and everybody else is like, what's this guy doing? We're in the middle of a storm, in the middle of this deep water. And he starts to walk across. But then somehow, reality sets in. He looks around realizes, I'm in the water, there's a storm, and I am not going to be able to do this. And he starts to sink. Jesus, of course, grabs his hand. They all get back in the boat together because Jesus will always grab your hand. So God calls even the brash and the bold and, dare I say it, the foolish. Peter becomes the disciple that the church is built on, right? I will build my church on this rock. So Jesus calls even the brass, the bold, and the foolish. I think these things are important because, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, I can't really do this now because I'm too tired. Or I can't really do this now because I don't understand. Or I can't really be those beautiful feet that Paul talked about in the letter to the Romans, like spreading the good news and the good word, because I might not be equipped. But what all these stories show, including the story about Maui and the people at St. John, is God will equip you. And we are each called, using our gifts, to care for one another, to spread the love of God, to be brave, to trust that even when we're discouraged and disappointed, that God is right there, seeing farther ahead than we can see, but walking along with us on the road. So my friends, God equips the surprise. God calls the unprepared. God calls the disappointed. God calls the despairing. God calls the fearful. God calls you. Amen.